Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm joined this week by the comedian and writer Paul Carenza. He's a writer of books including So a Comedian Walks Into a Church, TV shows including Not Going Out and Miranda, and plays, including the first broadcast, which is on tour now. Find out more at paulcarenza.com forward slash tour. Paul has written two features for the Church Times, exploring a century's worth of Christian film. The first part on cinema was published in the 17th of June edition, and the second part, on the rise of streaming services, is published in the 24th of June issue. Both pieces can be read at churchtimes.co.uk. Paul Carenza, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Thank you for having me. Cheers, Ed. Um, here to talk about um, two features you've written in last week's issue, um, 17th of June, and this forthcoming 24th of June issue, both also available on our website. Um, the first part is talking about cinema specifically. Mm. And you, you write in that feature that Christian filmmaking has had to evolve and adapt to the times. Um, how, how has it gone about doing that? How, how has it had to evolve? Well, I think there's a variety of factors involved, I suppose, cinema-going habits and, and trends and all these sorts of things. But the fact that, um, you know, you look back and this sort of Cecil B. DeMille and these epic things that, you know, in the first and uh, the middle part of the 20th century. And uh, and then occasionally with those mainstream dabblings, you get things like Chariots of Fire in 1981. And then, of course, famously, uh, Mel Gibson, Passion of the Christ, uh, in the uh, the early noughties, which was, you know, remains the highest grossing Christian film of all time. And I'm sure that many of us uh, have, have seen it. But of course, many uh, non-churchgoers went to see it. And it really was one of those rare films that I think really drew in a different crowd. Maybe in some cases, because they wanted to see what the fuss was all about, or because people were talking about it. It was one of those uh, sort of water cooler um, moments, I suppose, back when we had water coolers and communal places of work to have these conversations, as you know, pre-social media, I suppose, is, is that's the replacement now. But uh, uh, but then since then, I think the, one of the legacies of Passion of the Christ is the growth of the American Christian film industry. When you get those, what you may have traditionally seen as straight to DVD releases, straight to video releases, um, but then now I think have found a new a new home maybe on either the Netflixes or the even the quite specifically christian uh, focused uh, streaming services so famously things like the shack maybe but then also these films like fireproof and courageous made by um you know well networked well funded christian filmmakers finding an audience somehow mm, sure no, i'd like to talk about some of those films a bit more first could i just ask about mm. um going back to the beginning i mean the first film you give in, in your feature is, is from the ni- 1923, The Ten Commandments. You say in, in the beginning when the Christian film industry was created, there was Cecil B. DeMille, although you say he wasn't quite the first. Is that is that right? There was films before that? Well, yeah, he, I think he was probably probably the most famous uh, in the early 20th century. And, uh, but, but, you know, we know him now, maybe, I, I guess, I suppose I would have known him from the uh, the 1956 Ten Commandments. You know, he he re- that was a remake of his earlier version, and I think there were lots of remakes back then. You think of even like The Wizard of Oz. You know, the famous one we think of 1939. That was the, the fourth, fifth, tenth maybe uh, adaptation of the uh, the Wizard of Oz books. 
so back in back in the early part, you know, we think of remakes happening a lot nowadays, but go back to the twenties, thirties, forties, it happened all of the time. So he was remaking his his earlier film from the nineteen twenties, from nineteen twenty three. But even before that, I think you could even go back to just before uh, the twentieth century. You've got uh, examples in the Salvation Army, Herbert Booth put god on the screen then and uh really suddenly using this new technology that we had to make films to then of course instantly the church and independent creative christians thought you know can we use this how do we use this for outreach and and the films back then were they primarily aimed at church audiences because there would have been many more people who were churchgoers I, I think back then, I suppose it was society was very different, wasn't it? I suppose, and maybe it was more aimed at church goes, but I think more generally it was aimed at just people who happened to be more likely to go to church, perhaps back then. And it, but it was, you know, very niche. You know, the idea of cinema as a, as a concept was, you know, we're talking about eighteen ninety nine here, really, when Herbert Booth was doing this. So this was really very much that early early phase of it. We hadn't really got a, a social cinema going culture at that point i don't think and then just into the um i noticed you talk about going fast forwarding a bit to the 1970s the cross and the switchblade i mean that's a mm. very famous film of course that's based on a uh, david wilkerson's memoir of his urban yeah. preacher days um do we find that quite a lot that films are based on writings by christian writers i think in in some occasions yeah i think there's often it feels like the uh well to use a non-christian allegory the stars need to align a little bit for some of those things you know you need the right memoir in the right place with the right contacts the right funding and i think with the cross and the switchblade that that certainly happened and it's still to this day a um a popular film and a popular book and this uh, i did a a small group study a couple of years ago with our church where we were looking at the film and reading the book and talking about the issues that were coming from it so what you get of course with with, with stories like the cross and the switchblade is a it's a true story but b it's it's a testimony really and it's a uh, an immersive real life you know walk with me on my journey here my journey of faith and and see the world how i have seen it in in terms of uh, dealing with people and realizing how god can affect their lives so i think with a story like that uh you um you get that and with the cross and the switchblade it, i mean it does feel like a sort of a it's the world of west side story you know it's it's kind of gangs and hoodlums and switchblades and things like that is literally the title switchblade you know so um it's a, a maybe a different enough world that we feel there's maybe a dare i say entertainment value from it but there's also a real life story there we can connect with of course in, in the 80s chariots of fire um comes to mind and, and you, you write about that film a british film to what extent have christian films been prevalent in in this country limited i think it's fair to say um and that's maybe often been about funding you know but it's ironic isn't it chariots of fire was that film that when it went to the oscars the headlines were the british are coming and whenever we have those moments at the oscars where it looks like i don't know emma thompson or hugh grant whoever the latest brit is to go and make some big smash in in hollywood in oscar season it's back to that headline the british are coming and it goes back to the chariots of fire 81 but um we have always i think struggled we don't have hollywood we don't quite have the same model over here um but actually in the last few years uh, technology has reached that point you know it does take a while to filter down but we can now make films you know anyone can pick up a phone now and make a film and 
uh, then it was about distribution i think more about okay you've made a film now what put it on youtube and, and then what but actually nowadays we have more distribution models you know for example um you get you have these christian specific uh, streaming services i know we might talk about that more shortly but there are routes to market i think potentially more than they used to be so um yes although here in britain we've we've struggled and maybe at the minute you know the cultural the, the film industry and the tv industry uh, and the general cultural industries need a bit more support than maybe we've had in the past uh yeah it's it, they, i think there's hope on that front Mm. It's coming back to the, the Passion of the Christ in released in two thousand and four. I remember that being an absolutely huge film. I mean, was there any surprise at the time? Given, it, I mean, you write about how it is, is bleak moments that were unflinchingly brutal in the film. I mean, what, why do you think it was so popular? Well, I think partly it was that, and I think it was um, you've got churches who were, I think, already at that point in that frame of following some christian leadership urging people out to these films and that still happens in especially in american churches to this day you know the mega churches and the like some of them actually have links with these with the christian film industry and with certain america with certain christian film releases in america you can almost guarantee a good box office turnout when cinemas are legally open of course we're speaking uh, in a you know with we've had the pandemic and things going on so with encouragement though you do get christian leaders saying right my thousands tens of thousands of people in my mega church we're all going to turn out on this day and make sure this film remakes a splash and i think you had that with passion of the christ but you also had of course it wasn't just a testimony story this is about christ himself and this is about not only then a story that people are familiar with but also the way it was told and in fact it was brutally told um arguably maybe some people were drawn by that you know i think you think in some non-christian circles there was that the the gore aspect which was causing controversy at the time but every bit of controversy is column inches in the newspapers and it was certainly i think we can all agree it was probably the most widely publicized for good or for ill um of all christian films um, ever made surely mm. i remember that film being used by churches um in, in an evangelistic way you know to turning up at screenings with with tracks for, for holy week and easter i think around the time mm. it was released i mean does that happen very often where films which capture the public imagination some churches try to sort of capitalize on it to reach out to people i think occasionally you see of of campaigns along those lines but i think it's very rare that it ever certainly it's never as we said never landed as, as much as with passion of the christ um partly that's about the subject matter i guess um but i think ever since then you have these uh I think around about just soon after Passion of the Christ, you, I think you do see that split in between faith films and mainstream films. And I think part of that is just the structure of the film industry and the way that the Christian film industry has grown. Part of it is also about the subject matter in films. But you do get occasionally, I remember, you know, I listened to Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's film podcast and you hear them talk about, oh, there's this new film release and it's about summer camp and it's in America oh but it, it's it's a faith film and that is therefore mentioned as part of it almost dare i say in a buyer beware kind of way they, you know this is a mainstream film podcast review show and they're saying by the way just so you know when you go into this the poster may not inform you of this but this is about christian worship and summer camp and these sorts of things and you can make a still make a good film out of that but there does seem to be that divide a bit more the churches may be saying uh yeah let's all turn up to this let's all go and see it let's encourage you to go and see this film um but actually none of them are quite landed in the mainstream way in the same way that passion of the christ did 
And that's interesting in the, in the shack. I mean, that was obviously a, a multi-million selling book. I mean, was the film as successful? And was it? Um, I mean, it's 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 theology is is quite different to something like Passion of the Christ, isn't it? Perhaps quite controversial. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I think it it did land um, did land pretty well, and um, I think it, the book, of course, made a, a a real splash and and sold millions and millions of copies. Um, I think it also had that bonus of. Uh, Octavia Spencer was was one of the uh, the stars of the film, uh, and it had I think Sam Worthington as well. So it had what I guess actually more and more of these uh, faith films have, which is people you recognise. It has got some familiar star power in it, which I think can really really help. Uh, you can't really underestimate the value of reaching a different market by actually saying, look, you, you know this person, you've seen them in that TV show you like, you've seen Sam Worthington in the Terminator franchise, whatever it might be. And that can really make an impact as well in terms of just luring people into the cinema and then they can see it. With The Shack as well, I think this was a, a film that many uh, non-Christians as well, some had heard of this film, so heard of this book, and then maybe would have gone to see the film to see what they made of it. But I think there was also that maybe slight reticence among, I'm second-guessing here, among some of the non-Christian uh, cinema potential cinema goers because they knew what they're going to be told about in this film. They knew that this is someone who goes through that uh tragic experience where they have they go and meet god in almost in almost in three persons you know and so whatever you're in terms of trying to the thing is if, whenever you try and bring a christian concept like the trinity to the screen you know it's it's going to have its critics going well i'm not quite sure on the theology of that well good luck in bringing the trinity to the screen to a visual medium in some other way so i i actually think they personally i think they, they did a, a pretty good job with that film of bringing something that is almost unfilmable to life but i suppose the book did a good job in making it more visual i think when you could tell that when that was written there's a way of going okay i don't know if they had a film in mind i'm sure that was always at the back of the mind of the author but actually it was written quite visually and you could see that coming to life in on the screen mm. i'm going to ask about the relates to your the second part of your series is, is the rise of, of streaming platforms and you, um, you write today's tablets don't hold commandments, but films about them. Um, Netflix and Amazon, in particular, um, are they pretty packed with Christian content? Are there? Does that suggest there's quite a lot of demand for it? Well, the thing with they're all slightly different models. So the Amazon Prime model uh, is actually that almost anyone can get a film or even a TV show onto onto Amazon. Uh, or Amazon Video. So I know comedians who've made one-man shows and you can almost film it yourself and go through the process. A bit like with Amazon, you can upload, you can self-publish books, you know, on, on the Kindle. So Amazon actually is a slightly easier way to get in there. And actually some Christian filmmakers, I think, have made the best of that and gone, look, boom, you can all come see it. We're on Amazon Prime. Um, Netflix, a bit pickier. Um, and they will, but they do still have deals that they make with film companies who say oh yeah all those uh dvds you've got there going we, we can use those we can actually have those you know so netflix have but then things come and go a bit more on netflix so there is that but then increasingly there are other avenues that are available so you have uh true tube you have um uh the the different american mostly american based versions of this pure flicks is one prime example of this um in which you've got this it's, it's a funny thing when you look under the bonnet of of an organization or a company like pure flicks 
which some people may have heard of. I'm going to guess listening to this that maybe most maybe haven't heard of Pure Flix, but maybe, you know, nearly half have. I have completely random guess there, but by judging by its widespread um, awareness out there. But maybe many don't know, like the, the guy who co-founded it, David David White, he's called David A.R. White, he stars in loads of their films. So he is it's this odd model where you've got the guy who literally owns and runs the company and is also the star, sometimes the writer, sometimes the director, executive producer of these films, you know. And you can see that one of two ways. You can see, wow, this is a guy who is so focused on what he wants, his mission for the film industry. He is going to take every job going and make every film to make that happen. You could see it in a more critical way of going, okay, is this some sort of giant ego boost, an ego rush thing to get this full stuff out there? The truth probably is in the middle. We all have egos. We're all doing that. I imagine in the American film industry, let alone the American Christian film industry, egos are probably more rife than, than maybe some other areas. But, you know, he's getting some stories out there. My question then, I suppose, I have is what flavour of the Christian film industry is he uh, is he talking about and is he doing out there? So um, it's it's a tricky one to, to do. Mm. Do you, do you sense a particular flavour of, of Christianity being um, communicated in, in these the latter films? I think increasingly, yes. And I think part of that is when you, you know, if you look at that model I just mentioned there, for example, David A.R. White, he is just one guy, and I'm not judging him particularly. I have no place to judge. But once you have a system where you have the same few voices doing the amplification of this of their own stories you have that issue, I think, that you are going to get in many industries, which is what happens if too many people are, are if, if not enough people are in charge necessarily, you're going to get the same stories retold and retold. And I think in this case, it's mostly a conservative, evangelical, fairly politically right-wing background. Um, uh, I, I mean, you know, I'm not bringing myself into this particularly, but I've veered back and forth in the part right, left, you know, conservative, liberal. Um, I'm probably I'm more liberal than most, I imagine. But um, I suppose my big question mark I just bring to this is when they've started to bring some political right wing into this, as well as just the terms of the church attitude to conservative. I don't want to say conservative versus liberal, but essentially that's what it comes down to in this. But once they start to bring a bit more of the politics into it as well. So, for example, there are uh, films where I think it's the God's Not Dead franchise, um, where they have questions about what um, should be uh, taught in classrooms, for example. And then you have, you know, in a lot of these films, it's also a lot, a lot of these films well they have american law enforcement they have a lot of police and fire and um uh, and there's got gun control questions sometimes and you think okay faith films i think have a place certainly i'd love it I, i've always loved it when a faith film breaks through and actually is not a faith film it's a film that's about human nature and happens to talk about spirituality and life the universe and everything that's my kind of film personally but i understand there is a role for faith films if they can be spread in churches but i suppose my my question then is just if the the funders and therefore the politics is breaking through and kind of taking over some of the spiritual side if that's really um necessarily what the films are about in the first place but if that's the film they want to make and if people are turning out to see it then i suppose there's that mm. no just fine i mean you talk also in, in your feature about diversity and or lack of it a lot of films are made by men or have male leads um is there any progress towards diversity of films being made not by I suppose white men i think there is 
limited progress being made. Um, these things do take time. These are like ocean liners in terms of, of trying to make any sort of things here. Uh, in terms of on screen, you get um, one of the most famous, probably female-led Christian films is as uh, a biopic of Bethany Hamilton, the surfer, uh, called Soul Surfer. For, that's from 2011. Um, and um, but you know, this is a real-life, true story. Generally speaking, I think the fiction uh, films are they generally go for the white male lead. Um, often it's the white men who have been bankrolling it, the white men who have been producing it, and that sort of thing. There have been more occasions, I think, of of, uh, of some changes in that area, but I think it is it is pretty slow uh, in terms of that. Um, there are there's a couple of uh, Christian uh, filmmaking sisters uh, in Hollywood as well, um, and um, they are uh, Alexandra Boylan, uh, Andrea Pollo. Uh, Paul Paul Nasek, um, if I attempt to pronounce that anywhere near correctly, so they are there are some out there, but these are individuals, and it is, you know, it's such. We I know I know from personal experience, this is a tricky industry to break into. So and often it's about knowing the right people to break into it in the first place, or as we're seeing more in the secular industry right now, initiatives to uh, to boost different voices, and perhaps that's what we need in this industry as well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.